we see that this psalm is a psalm of praise from David. It's a psalm about the judgment of God, about the justice of God. It's a psalm that shows the mercy of God. What we see in this psalm is that being against God's anointed king was truly to be against God himself. So to be against David was to be against God's kingdom. It was to be against God's will, his work in the world. To be against David was really to reject God and his ways. It was to reject the hope that was coming into the world through that seed of Abraham that would eventually be Jesus Christ. To come against David was to come against God. It was to be an enemy of God. Likewise, in our day, to reject the eternal King of God, the greater David, Jesus Christ, the great final anointed King, God's Messiah, to reject this King is to reject God Himself. There is absolutely no neutrality in this life that we live. You are either in Christ, you are either of God's kingdom, or as the text says, you are an enemy of God. And if you are here tonight and you have not yet come to Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to him, then you need to think of yourself as an enemy of God. This is what the scriptures teach. James 4.4 makes that clear. To be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. That if you make yourself a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. That's what James 4.4 teaches. So if you do not know Christ, this is you. You are the one that this psalm speaks about when it says the enemies. I want you to hear tonight how God deals with those who oppose him. It should be a fearful thing to us. But if you are here tonight as one who has come to Christ, if you are, as this psalm says, the lowly, the humble, those who are poor in spirit, you have come to Christ saying that I am a poor beggar that needs the bread that has come from heaven. You will see in this psalm the way that God deals with those who know him, who trust him, that he is merciful to them. This psalm will tell us that he is never leaving them or forsaking them, that he is mindful of those who are his, and that he will ultimately vindicate those who are his. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So with that, let's look at this psalm tonight. I want you to look there at verse 1 and 2, and I want you to hear the heart of David towards God. His desire is to praise God, to, to worship God, and hear the way that David worships God. He says there, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Not half his heart, but his whole heart. He says there, I will recount all of his wondrous deeds. So his worship to God is rooted in what God has done throughout history. He says there in verse 2, I will be glad and exalt in you. So his worship, his praise has led to rejoicing in God. And there it says he sings praises to the name of the Most High. This is the heart of David. He gives thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. When the scripture says heart there, he means the center of his being. That is to say that his will, David's will, is bent towards giving thanksgiving to God. Charles Spurgeon spoke of half-hearted praise being absolutely no praise at all. 
And if we give half-hearted praise to God, it is worthless. We, like David, need to come to God with our whole hearts and praise Him for what He has done. And that's what we see in this very first verse of this psalm, that David comes giving thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. With all of who he is, he gives thanks to God. You know, part of David's praise here was to recount all of God's wondrous deeds. And it's really a focus on the miraculous. The sentiment here is David is reflecting on all that God has done throughout history. How God's wondrous, mighty hand has brought the the Israelites out of Egypt. He's recounting in his mind those wonderful deeds of God throughout history. He's remembering his redemptive work, his creative work, the splendor of God's deeds in history, David praises God by recounting what God has done. By remembering God's awesome power, his wonderful deeds. Right here tonight, as you listen to David, you listen to his praise of God. Look what it leads to in his heart. He says there he will be glad in the Lord. He will rejoice in the Lord. He will sing to the Lord. So as he focuses, as he comes to the Lord with thanksgiving, it leads to true joy in his life. It leads to singing worship to the God that has given him grace. So David is thankful towards God. He recounts God's wonderful deeds, and it has led to rejoicing in God in his life. His praise now turns to how God will deal with his enemies. Those enemies that have come against him. Right here he says that he is so confident in God. He's so confident in God's protection and what God has promised that he knows that God will cause his enemies to turn back. David is so confident in God's protection that he can say of those enemies that they will stumble and that they will perish before God. David says there in verse 4 that God has maintained his just cause. What David is saying there is that he is an innocent man and that he is innocent of the charges that these enemies have brought against him, that he truly is an innocent party and that God is for him. God knows that he is innocent and he is on God's side. And he knows that God is not against him, but God is for him. God is on his side and maintains David's cause. David, again here, we see he is confident in the Lord. He knows that this just God of all the earth, there in verse 4, he says that this just God, he sets on his throne and he judges righteously. He trusts that he will be vindicated because he knows that his God is just and he will judge righteously. He trusts that God will vindicate him as his enemies surround him. As I thought about this verse this week, I thought about David's heart and what he was saying here in this verse that, that God was on his side. You know, President Barack Obama, he would often say in his speeches that we need to be on the right side of history. And that really became a popular phrase during his presidency. He was on the news often. Whether or not President Obama will be on the right side of history is not the point of why I bring that up. 
The reason is, is because what I believe in this text, David knew to be on God's side was to be on the right side, was to be on the just side, was to be on the winning side. David, when he was on God's side, he was absolutely certain to be on the right side of history. So to be in line with the just judge who always, without question, does what is right, if you're on his side, without a shadow of a doubt, you will be on the right side of history. But to those who wrong this just judge, who are enemies of this God, you will truly see that they will be on the wrong side of history. No matter how they fight, no matter what they say, no matter what they say is right in their own eyes, if they are not on God's side, they are on the wrong side of history. Listen to what David says in verses 5 and 6. There in Psalm chapter 9, verse 5, he says this, the Lord and how he deals with the enemies of God. He says, you have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in an everlasting ruin. Their cities you have rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. So here we see the Lord has rebuked them. He has destroyed them. He has blotted out their name. These wicked nations that rage against God throughout all of history, the text says here, he's been blotting out their names and he will blot out their names for all of eternity. As Psalm chapter 2 says, they plot in vain. God will be the victor. And I want you to think about history. Think about all the nations throughout history that have rise, risen and fallen throughout so many nations, so many that are no longer even remembered. David says here in verse 6 that the very memory of them has perished. The enemies of God will come to a quick and decisive end. They will come to everlasting ruin, as this text says. And I must say, as I read this verse this week and I studied it, I had to ask the question, what's the future of America look like? What's the future of this country look like? This country that's been so blessed by God. I want to say, I want to preface this first by saying, this Psalm chapter 9, it's about Israel. It's about King David. It's about the enemies that came against him. This text is not about us. This actually happened in history. But we know there are truths from this scripture that apply to our time. And certainly, what we read about here in verses 5 and 6 is how God will deal with every wicked nation throughout history. God will certainly deal harshly with every nation that rejects his ways. His King Jesus is known as the righteous judge who will judge the quick and the dead. And he will judge all those nations that call wrong right. What will come of America? Ask yourself the question tonight. Has God changed? He hasn't. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and for all of eternity. He has not changed. And so will he not bring judgment against a nation that murders their children every single day? Will he not rebuke a nation that has called evil good and good evil? No, please, tonight, as you hear these words, pray for this nation. Beg God for this nation. Because if we head down this trajectory that we are currently on, these texts are going to come to real life in this nation. Beg God that he would grant the people of this land repentance before he purges us out of this land. Pray for America. To those who set themselves as opposed to God, this text teaches us that eventually swift destruction will come upon them. Their names will be blotted out, and this is how God will deal with all of his enemies. He says here their names will be forgotten, but David goes on to tell us whose name will not be forgotten. God's name will endure Forever. So while the enemies will be forgotten, God will endure and his name will be remembered forevermore. In verse 7 it says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. That is, he's never to be overthrown. He's never stepping down. He's never ceasing to rule. He will never be to de defeated. He is God and he is the just judge and he is sovereign over all and his rule will last for eternity. He is the Lord who will sit enthroned forever. Verse 7 states that he has established his throne for justice. So many people these days want a God who is all mercy and no justice. They've rewritten the God of the Bible. And J.C. Ryle said, a God who is all mercy and no justice is a God of your own imagination. That's a God that doesn't exist. Because right here, David tells us, God has established his throne for justice. And in verse 8, he says, he judges the world with righteousness. With perfection, this God judges the world. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Far from sweeping sin under the rug, far from ignoring injustice. No, this God of ours is a righteous judge. His gavel will always come down on the side of justice. And we know from Jesus Christ, he will let no idle word go. No deed will go unpunished. Every single evil thought, every single evil deed will be judged by the holy God. And if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. You have the just God coming against you. That justice of God will either be pulled out on his son or on every single act of rebellion against him. His judgments towards those who are outside of Christ, hear it tonight. They will be perfect. That is why the Bible says it's a fearful and awesome day, the day of the Lord. It truly will be. People will weep. They will rue the day that they were born because they will face this just God who will be right. Dr. Steve Lawson, he noted on this verse saying, As all the nations will stand before God at the final judgment, they will receive perfect justice in that awful day 
No mercy would be extended to the unbelievers who rejected Jesus Christ. And there they will face inflexible justice of God. This is the fate of everyone who does not know Jesus Christ. Please today, if this is you, hear my voice. Come to Christ and live. Don't face this just God without Jesus Christ. Find a pardon and the only one that can pardon you. While David here in this text was confident of the Lord's justice, he was also confident in the Lord's mercy. He was confident that God was a merciful God. He was confident that God would care for his people. He was confident in the Lord's love for those who were his. In verse 9, he says there that the Lord is a stronghold. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. The last time I spoke about God being a stronghold, Reggie spoke about it also. <laughs> and tonight he spoke about God being a fortress again. A refuge for us. A stronghold for his people. That's what this text says. And the imagery here is that these people are being attacked by the enemies of God and they run to a high stronghold, a high fortress who is God. They're in trouble. They are perishing and they run to their Lord. They run to God in a time of trouble. They are the needy that know they desperately need the Lord. They flee to him and live. He is the protector of the needy. Of those that in verse 10 say, those who know his name, they put their trust in him and they know that the Lord has not forsaken them who seek him. It says there that they know his name. This does, this does not just mean they have a general knowledge of him. This is not a superficial knowledge of God. This is not just knowing about him. Because after all, the demons believe. No, the text here is speaking of an intimate knowledge. It's an intimate relationship with the Lord. The Hebrew word is yada, which often is used to explain a relationship between a husband and wife. It speaks of people that have a close personal relationship with the Lord God Almighty. They know him and they are known by him. And in verse 10, it says, all who trust, all who know him also trust him. That is to say they are secure in him. They have confidence in him. As the enemies of the world are raging against him, who are they leaning on? The Lord God Almighty. They trust in God. They have confidence in their Lord's protection. And they know the very next line of this verse. Those who know the Lord, who trust in the Lord, they also know that he has not forsaken those who seek him. You know, God has promised over and over again in our word, or in his word, to never leave us or forsake us. And here we see that promise once again, that he's not going to forsake those who are his. Those who have known him through his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord God, is not forsaking you. 
There is a great promise right here in this text that God will never forsake you. That while there will be troubles in life that might fall upon you, there might be many pressures from this world all around you, there might be sickness, heartache, and pain, and even death. But I want you to know this truth tonight. The Lord is your stronghold. He is your refuge. He is the one that has not forsaken you. That is the truth of verse 10. You know, there's something else about this verse that I am compelled to speak about. As I read it and I studied it, I want you to get the heart of it. You know, many in our land say they know God. They have a profession of faith. But what's the psalmist say here? That those who truly know God are those who trust in God. They are those who inquire of God. That's that word, what that word seek actually means. They inquire of the Lord. They are those who seek after. They seek the Lord. They are those who rely on the Lord in their time of trouble. So what's this verse re reveal about the heart of a true believer? That they lean on God. That not only do they have an intimate personal relationship with him, they trust in him. They depend on him. He is their refuge in time of trouble. So it's more than just knowing the right things. It's more than just saying that you believe. It's more than just making a profession or praying a, a prayer. What we see in this psalm is that the heart of the person is bent towards God. It's a heart that knows God, loves God, and seeks after God. A heart that trusts God. This is the characteristic of one who knows God in a saving way. David now moves on to sing praises to the Lord in his psalm. He praises the Lord for all that he has done. He praises the Lord because he has not forgotten the cry of the afflicted. He praises God because he avenges the blood of those who perished. Did you hear that part of the verse? That God avenges the blood of those who have perished innocently? Just as a side note tonight, I want you to think of all the infants in our land that have perished at the hands of murderous doctors and that God will avenge every single life's blood. That is the true nature of our God. He is the one that avenges the blood of those who have perished in verse 13, he petitions the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He asks the Lord. He cries out to the Lord to be gracious to him, be merciful to him. David is at God's mercy. He knows he has absolutely no hope. He knows he's on the brink of death, and he is leaning. He's depending on the Lord. He's asking the God, God to lift him from the gates of hell, that his fate is certain death unless the Lord intervenes in this situation. And David says something interesting there in verse 14. He calls on the Lord and he says that, Lord, if you deliver me, if you're gracious to me, I will recount all of your praises. So he's crying to the Lord to save him so that he may praise his name. Save me, O Lord, so that I may glorify your name, that I may let people know of your salvation. This is the heart of David as he seeks deliverance from this situation. 
to glorify God through the salvation. Verses 15 and 16 speak of the nations that have raged against David. And and God literally tells us there that they've been snared in their own traps. They are snared in the works of their own hands. You know, we can often fret and get so worried about the enemies out there. We can get worried about the world and those who are plotting against God, plotting against the church, and it can bog us down. We can get bogged down by those who are out there who are seeking to persecute the church. But what's this psalm teach us right here? That ultimately their plans are foolish. That the mighty God of the universe is for his people. And oftentimes the plans of the wicked will end up coming back on them. That they will be snared in their own traps for those that they sought to destroy. It teaches us that while the nations rage, it is all in vain. Their plots are foolish and they ultimately will not prosper. Their evil dealings will eventually ensnare them. They will fall prey to the very thing that they sought to destroy the kingdom of God with. It says here of the wicked nations that they will return to the grave, that they will perish, it says there in verse 17, and all the nations that forsake God will be cast into the lake that burns with fire. But it says there of those who were oppressed, those who were poor, the ones that were the needy of God, the needy ones who knew their need for Christ, who knew their need for God's grace, their, their need of God's salvation. Verse 18 says that the needy shall not always be forgotten and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. And so while the the enemies of this world might seem at times like they are winning the war, eventually we will see that while they might have been able to take the bodies of believers, they cannot take the eternal hope away from those who are in Christ. For the sake of time, I'm going to rush through this ending here. David finishes this psalm with calling for the judgment to come on the unrepentant nations. He says there, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. They are but men. Think about that tonight. Those nations are raging against God. Those enemies are raging against God. They they think they have all the power. They are confident in their schemes against God. But what's David say? Lord, remind them that they are just men. And I'm telling you, there is coming a day where they will stand before the awesome God. And on that last day, they will fear the Lord and they will utterly know that they are just men. As we end, I want you to think of the two types of people in this psalm. We see the enemies of God. And what's their fate? They are swiftly destroyed by him. Then we see the one who seeks God. 
They seek God in their time of trouble. They are those who trust in God. And as I said to start this sermon, there are only two types of people in this world. There is no neutrality. So you're either one who is in rebellion against God, or you are one who is known by Him. Please today, trust in Him. Seek Him. Which one are you this day? I must say that each and every one of us have been enemies of God, and it is only by the grace of God that is found through Jesus Christ, His Son, that we have been made right with God. And it is through this Christ that anyone here tonight that does not know God in a saving way can be made right, can have their penalty completely wiped clean. This righteous judge is the merciful God. He is the loving God who loves sinners so much that he sent his one and only son to be a ransom for them. Please today, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Trust in Christ. Know him. Is this you today? Trust him today.